Corinthians 5, 16 to 20. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old one is gone. The new one is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, through you and me. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Thank you, Teresa, for those beautiful words. And good morning, everyone. I trust that everyone had a great sleep and a cozy, maybe lazy morning, some second breakfast before arriving at 11 a.m. This is our new start time, so you can get used to it. It's wonderful. So again, as Brandon said, my name is Rebecca, and I'm just honored to be speaking to you this morning and introducing our new sermon series for the month of October. Kingdom politics is what it's called. Most of us are familiar with the separation of church and state, but while the origins of this legal concept are often forgotten, it's most often referenced to keep religion out of the public sphere. So what should we do? Sit in our hands? Actually, we believe quite the opposite. The inbreaking kingdom of God brings with it plenty of good work for us to do, whether it's political or otherwise. And what we understand from Jesus' teachings is that the idea of everything is spiritual. Our personal, our economic, our social decisions all have very spiritual implications. There is no divide. And because we carry the kingdom of God right along with us everywhere we go, our decisions are impacted by these kingdom values, and in turn, hopefully our world. So this next month of October includes topics such as truth and reconciliation, confronting the isms, racism, sexism, etc., global responsibility, equality, and economics. These are big issues. They're important topics to address and to honor. Actually, my background is as an instructor at Wilfrid Laurier University, and we talk a lot about these big issues, about justice issues, politics, economics, but it's very separate from our faith. We can't have those faith discussions, at least in my department, it doesn't work to bring that into the mix. But here as a church, we can interweave those things together, and I think that's so important. It's a big part of God's kingdom. So today, we'll open with looking at kingdom politics in light of truth and reconciliation. It's a heavy subject, but what we hope to do today is to challenge ourselves to move beyond our scope of Western cultural Christianity and see how the gospel message of, Christ of Jesus is represented in different cultures. Namely, today we'll be speaking of our First Nations culture and how we can be involved in redeeming that. There's a slide here of um, um, some artwork by a prominent Métis artist, uh, Christine Belcourt. And um, 
I chose this one because it's a painting of a bear, and um, the artist speaks about the bear representing courage. And I wanted us to have courage as a congregation, as a community, to sort of face this topic of reconciliation as we work through it together. The scripture reading from 2 Corinthians 5 focuses on the challenge that Christ gave us in the ministry of reconciliation. Brandon did mention this theme a few weeks back in regards to South Africa and their Truth and Reconciliation Committee. And he mentioned that we would be picking up the theme again today. But today we're looking at what it means for us to be the ones doing the reconciling. So what does the scripture mean when God talks about this ministry? Well, as we mentioned last Sunday, the call to be reconcilers means that we're acknowledging that there's a division in the first place and that we live in a divided world with conflict close at hand. So we're sort of accepting that divided reality. And for the purposes of this Sunday, we'll be looking at the context of reconciliation with First Nations or Indigenous persons right here in the nation that we call Canada. And when we use the term Indigenous today, we're encompassing three sovereign nations who were original inhabitants of our land, the Aboriginal, the Inuit, and the Métis nations. Ever since first contact between the First Nations and the Canadian settler communities, conflict has occurred. In 1867, when Canada became a sovereign nation, we essentially stripped the rights of many of our First Nations communities, and a lot of those remain unresolved today. Reconciliation is needed. So in an international political context, we look to this declaration, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It's um, essentially a gold standard um, that the community looks at to provide a framework for reconciliation and justice. Um, in their words, they say, today the Declaration is the most comprehensive international instrument on the rights of Indigenous peoples. It establishes a universal framework of minimum standards for survival, dignity, and well-being of Indigenous peoples of the world. And it elaborates on existing human rights standards and fundamental freedoms as they apply to specific situation of Indigenous peoples. Here in Canada, we have not always respected the rights of our Indigenous peoples in a way that honours this declaration. In fact, when this declaration was, voted, um, was being voted on to be ratified um, by the General Assembly of First Nations, um, this was in 2007, and 144 nations across the world voted yes towards ratifying the declaration, and four nations, only four nations out of the whole world, voted no. Embarrassingly enough, we were one of those countries. Canada said no, and this is the United Nations. Uh, I sort of imagine the voting going on, it's like top secret poll, you put your yes or your no for your country, and then it all shows up on this global map. And I picture this like green light going off on nations around the world. Yes, we need to honor this. Yes, we need this dignity. Green lights everywhere. And then ping, a little red light for Canada. What is going on up there in the north? We're a country with a huge population of indigenous peoples. And we said no. We did actually go back as a country to um, retract that decision. And we have since agreed 
Um, but the Declaration has um, gone on to become quite a standard. But that first no, that was, that was a little embarrassing for us. I think we can do better than that. Uh, the political and spiritual message of the Declaration of Indigenous Rights and the call from Corinthians is really one and the same. The values of the kingdom of God are written all over that declaration. I do believe that we as Christians should be setting the standard and setting the tone for what that looks like on a human rights level. And similar to the South Africa model, on a national level now, Canada organized the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which we'll call the TRC, in 2008 with the purpose of documenting the history and impacts of the First Nations residential schools. Why a formal commission, you may ask, to investigate? Um, well, here's a quote that I found from one of the judges involved in the commission. Reconciliation is not an Aboriginal problem. It's a Canadian problem. It involves all of us. So this commission provided formal residential school attendees an opportunity to share their experiences during meetings held all over the country. And it concluded in December of 2015 with a report that stated the Canadian government residential school system amounted to cultural genocide. The TRC summary stated we have a long journey ahead. So in other words, in 2018, right now, we're just in the middle of making our amends. Our journey has just begun. A National Center for Truth and Reconciliation opened in November, a couple of years ago, 2015, at the University of Manitoba. And this National Center is home to research documents and testimony collected during the course of the commission. Rye Morin, the director of the center, gave an interview last year in Canadian Geographic magazine. He says, when we talk about truth and reconciliation, we're talking about providing a voice to Indigenous peoples who have been marginalized. Change is inherently uncomfortable. But I think that as a country, we need to become much more comfortable with discomfort. We need to find a degree of peace, hearing messages perhaps we don't want to hear or we don't understand. We have to remember that what we're trying to do with reconciliation is to create safe places. Indigenous people's safety has been affected by this colonial experiment that we've called Canada. And we have to think about what those historical figures represent us now that the truth is coming out. Moron goes on to say, how does it feel for an Indigenous child who walks into a school that's named for Sir John A. Macdonald? Somebody who oversaw the destruction of his or her ancestor's culture, identity, livelihood, and whose intent was to eliminate Indigenous peoples from this country. Is this public figure someone we want representing us? So what's an example of a safe place that Morin is referring to here? After I read this interview, that's the question that came to my mind. I had the chance last weekend to ask this question in conversation with a local Indigenous elder in the Métis community, Dave Skeen. In our house, we call him Uncle Dave. <laughs> Dave is serving as acting director for White Owl and is a member of the Métis Nation of Ontario. His Métis heritage comes from Penetanguishene, a beautiful part of Ontario just outside of Parry Sound. 
I caught up with him at the Ride for Refuge, where we walked, not rode, a five-kilometer trail together with family and friends. So I told him, Dave, I'm researching and reading for a sermon on truth and reconciliation in an Indigenous context. And I'm finding it very disheartening. The actual term reconciliation has been thrown around so often, it's begun to lose its very significance. And what does a safe place mean for Indigenous peoples? So if the word reconciliation does not bring to mind any hopeful images or feelings, Dave, in all your years of reading, studying, teaching, and storytelling with the Indigenous elders, what would you say is the most important aspect of First Nations reconciliation? And Dave said two words, land use. Land ownership brings so many challenges and obstacles along with it, but land use is actually quite simple. Indigenous land use is giving access for Indigenous community members to access and use private land for traditional purposes. We have a beautiful slide of some fresh garden produce here. And this is in a place called Wasak Dewanawak Gardens. I had to practice that name. So fishing and hunting are two of these common uses, but there are so many more. Planting traditional medicines, fruits, and vegetables is another. And using the land for ceremonies, such as a sweat lodge, a campfire, traditional teaching and storytellers, or tapping the trees for syrup, collecting and harvesting the local wild edibles. Dave has spent the past four summers getting his hands dirty with the Wasak Dewanawak Gardens. This collective of Indigenous professors, university students, and nonprofit groups grows sustainable and culturally relevant food for the urban Indigenous populations of the Waterloo Wellington region. It's very local at hand. Wasakta Wenawak also teaches through hosting ceremonies, workshops, plant walks, and summer camps to grow and strengthen their community. They practice traditional agriculture methods at all their garden locations. And the unique thing about this indigenous garden is that the land is actually owned by Steckley Farms, a place where many of us know. They have an agreement to allow the gardens to be used for Indigenous land use. A similar kind of land use agreement happens right here at the University of Waterloo through Organic Gardens and is currently growing at the University of Guelph through the Arboretum Centre. These traditional gardens are a living local example of a safe place that Morin recalled for in his reconciliation strategy. Dave is also a current faculty member of NATE which stands for the North American Indigenous Theological Seminary. I wanted to talk about their vision a little bit. It unites both of these practices we're talking about. Nate says uh, that their desire is to see men and women journey down the road of a living heart relationship with Jesus in a transformative way, one which does not require the rejection of their creator-given social and cultural identity. Traditionally, Native people did not live, talk, or sorry, did not talk about spirituality or faith, nor did they build complex theologies. They simply lived what they believed. It was expected that one would live in such a way as to acknowledge and honor their creator, 
Theology was practice. That's from the Nate's website, their vision. They've cast a vision to provide a safe place for First Nations and Indigenous peoples to follow cultural practices and be followers of Jesus at the same time. Our cultural practices of church here in North America are very overwhelmingly Western in nature. Our teaching, our music, even our sense of time and our ways of relating. While the North American Indigenous Theological Seminary provides a space for Indigenous Canadians to practice both their cultural traditions and their Christian faith at the same time. Along these lines of faith, uh, the United Church of Canada issued an official apology, apology on behalf of the church to Indigenous Canadians that is worth hearing a part of here. The church said in an official statement, our apology to Indigenous per persons is not for being Christian. Instead, our apology is for not recognizing the value that God gave to Indigenous peoples. I think that's a good one for all of us to hear. First Nations culture differ from Western cultures immensely. God values both. And we lack as a community we, when we do not recognize the importance of a variety of cultural elements. Our social political systems all fall short of the kingdom of God. But I do believe that Christ wants us to redeem that. Jesus came into the world to be reconciled for all nations. And different attributes of Christ or more evident in a, in a varied cultural setting. My own cultural heritage is actually racially mixed. On my mother's side, I have Russian Mennonite heritage, which some of you here may be familiar of. Um, that heritage, their cultural teachings place an emphasis on forgiveness, on serving, and on peacemaking. My mom's culture has peace written all over it. And Jesus came into the world as a peacemaker. But on my father's side, my culture is East Indian. And their cultural teachings emphasize passion, creativity, humor, and dance. Very different from the Mennonite side. Jesus came to, to the world to bring joy and life to our world as well. They're two very different cultures, but they're not in opposition. They're in harmony, bringing together different aspects of God's great character. In 2 Corinthians, the challenge that Christ gave us was the message of reconciliation. In one sense, the work has already been done for us. The foundation has been laid by Jesus Christ, who reconciled himself to us, a new creation. The old is gone, he said. The new is here. And in, as Christ's ambassadors in this world, and particularly in our Western cultural framework, we are implored to carry a message of reconciliation to the nations and to look for ways in how God is at work reconciling and redeeming the nations to himself. As families, neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, and communities, there is much, much to be done in this ministry of reconciliation if we are able to see it through the lens of God's kingdom. God is already working in the world. And we are asked to look for ways in which he, God is moving around us to reconcile all the nations to himself and to join him in this work, even if it's uncomfortable, complicated, or messy. If you want a few stories about what that looks like, you could talk to some of our youth 
who spent their last spring break at Grassy Narrows First Nations community, involved very much in this work of reconciliation. The Ministry of Reconciliation essentially means to break down barriers between people and God. Morin stated, we need to find a degree of peace hearing messages perhaps we don't want to hear or we don't understand. So how do we honor the value that God gave to Indigenous peoples and to different cultures? How do we create safe places? How do we become much more comfortable with discomfort? And how do we, as followers of Christ, carry out the ministry of reconciliation and break down barriers? Let's dream about that together. So now we're going to invite the music team to come back up. We are going to transition now to a time of communion. So the sermon ends. We are going to invite you all to join us in this journey of reconciliation as we move towards communion and a sharing of the elements together. So I'm going to read a psalm, and then we're going to start the song. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout the generations.